Thanks, Rand. Oh, it's very, very kind, dude. Thank you. I just love that I get to share. <laughs> I was chatting with a friend the other day about, um, about sermons, and we were talking about how they're basically, like, I, the way I see them is conversation starters, and just this lovely space, and he was saying that he's got a friend that it's, he imagines when he's speaking on something that he's been in this room with these verses in the Bible, and just gets to say to everyone else, come and be in this room with me for a moment, and I thought it was this lovely image that we actually get to um, hear from one another, and then we actually go away and get to actually talk about it together, wrestle it through together, think about what it means for ourselves. So all that to say, it's great to be here. <laughs> um, genuinely, genuinely, it really is a joy uh, to get to be with you. As Joel said, I'm normally at our central service, so it's lovely, um, really great. Also, as you will have heard, we are at the start of our Advent um, series. Um, it is the first day of Advent today, this time in the traditional church calendar that would have been a bit like Lent. Um, it's meant to be it's this gift that we've been given in sense of time to be a time of simplicity and reflection as we lead up to Christmas. And then Christmas starts on Christmas Day and the celebrations continue for 12 days. And we've tended to flip that and started to celebrate Christmas early and finish on Christmas Day. Now, this is not to shame any of us who have already put our decks up, we're already drinking mulled wine, we're having fun and parties, I love all of that, I am here for all that too. Um, but in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all the fun and the celebrations, I think we have this gift of Advent that we can actually just, that invites us internally to reflect. Fleming Rutledge, the author, has um, talked about Advent and says that Advent is subversive. Because fundamentally, the, the biblical story of Jesus' birth is rigorously unsentimental. It's not just about the parties, but actually Advent reminds us that the Christmas story enters into the deep places of pain and longing and waiting and disappointment. And in those places, through Jesus' birth, shines the penetrating light of hope. Hope that is actually the sustaining, powerful force of love. Hope that reminds us what we are or can be. This is open invite, the story that we are part of. That Jesus has come, that he is with us, and that he is coming again. And one day, all will be made new. Advent invites us to actually remember the promises and the prophecies of God in our own everyday lives. It's this gift that we have. And so we've called this series are people waiting because as Joel said there was a people the Israelites who were waiting for the Messiah waiting for their king we are now a couple of thousand years later but we are waiting again for his second coming his returning and so we can learn from the original waiters those who were around at the birth of Jesus those who were there at the first Christmas and there's all these ordinary people that God just invited into the story so in their ordinary lives there was extraordinary moment when they found themselves caught up in this story there was the shepherds who at the time would have been at the lowest social class and angels appeared to them and actually invited them to come and worship the king they invited the shepherds into the to the presence of God there was magi these political advisors who would have been really well respected learned men who'd seen the star and followed it they too came and worshiped in 
the same place in the stable with the presence of God. There was Joseph, a humble, faithful carpenter who listened to God and led him and Mary through such a turbulent, troubled season. Mary, an unmarried teenager who was entrusted to give birth to God's son. The... <coughs> excuse me, Elizabeth and Zachariah, he was a priest. They'd waited for ages for a child and then God gives them a son, John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, who was there to announce Jesus's arrival. Simeon and Anna, these two older people who had waited and waited for years and then found themselves caught up in God's story. There was no exclusions to who could be part of this story. Jesus did not come for one type of person. He didn't then and he doesn't now. Advent reminds us of this. It reminds us of us ordinary people, <laughs> of the extraordinary moments that we can be caught up with, with God. And today we are focusing, we are giving our time to one of these people. And you might think we were going to start with Mary. Poor Adnan, who's preaching on Joseph next week, thought we were. So, <laughs> but I arrived this morning to tell him we're actually starting with Anna. Um, Anna was this amazing woman. There's actually not that much said about her. Um, in the Bible, she, her story gets a few lines in Luke chapter two. But as I just spent some time with those few lines, I've had loads of questions that a lot of them haven't been answered. But I've actually been so inspired and encouraged by it. So we're going to read her part of the story. It's um, around Jesus's birth, and it's found in Luke chapter two. When the time came for the, f <clears throat> sorry. I don't know whether it's the cold this morning. I couldn't move my lips properly. I don't know what's happened. Uh, feel free on that note to go and get hot drinks at any point. But, uh, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Mosif, Mo who? <laughs> Mosif, uh, the first celebrity biblical couple. No, anyway. Moses, Joseph, and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. This was a... Um, a purification rite that was required when a baby boy was 40 days old and they were dedicated to God. And there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So what can we learn from this incredible woman who wasn't a high priest, who wasn't someone of well-renown, but was a widow, an elderly widow who had faithfully prayed for over 60 years. 
What can we learn from her? Well, just to put into context some of her story, if, you, if we can just go down a bit of a history route for a moment to kind of understand the world that she was living in. I explained this this morning. This was the table that was supposed to help us all, uh, but uh, I'm going to try and explain it to us. But um, in the... Is that a train? A plane? <laughs> Start of a song. <laughs> um, uh, the Old Testament. The Old Testament there is full of um, the story of the Israelites who were God's people who basically spent their time wandering away from him. And there were prophets that were sent to call these people back to remind them of who they were and the friendship with God that they had been invited into. It, that was their job. And they also would give prophecies about the coming Messiah, their coming King who would be born a baby. And then between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament, is about 400 years. And this is a period of time that in Protestant circles is known as the time of silence because there was no more new prophecies about God. But it was not a time of insignificance. In fact, it was actually a time of turmoil and change for the Jewish people as there was vying powers of domination um, were seeking to overthrow and occupy their land at all times. Alexander the Great, AG, comes along and he had this vision to unite the world culture and so the Hellenization of the ancient world started to come into being so much so that Greek culture began to overtake the Jewish culture, which actually meant that Jewish worship at that time became, um, was outlawed and even owning scripture was punishable by death. And then we have, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. The regime of Antiochus Epiphanes, one of these rulers, was so cruel and so extensive that the Jews rose up in revolt. And we have what we know as the Maccabean Revolt, which actually won them a time of freedom. They were able to worship in the temple again, and they were free from oppression until the year 63 BC, when the Romans came and invaded Israel and began to occupy the land. And then in 40 BC, the Parthians came and they overtook, they overthrew the Romans and they overtook Jerusalem. 37 BC, we've got Herod the Great who returns. He'd been a governor in Galilee. He comes back to um, Jerusalem with Roman troops and he overthrows the Parthians and he's installed um, in Jerusalem to uphold the interests of Rome and he's actually named King of the Jews. And then we have the opening of the New Testament with the Israelites still longing and waiting and sighing under this domination that had gone before. And if you imagine that Anna, when Jesus is born, she's around 84 to 105, which means that she was probably born during this time of peace at the end of that the Maccabean revolt had won. And then she lived through the Romans coming and occupying her land. She lived through the next force, the Parthians. She lived through Herod being named the king of her people. And where was she? She was in the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying, worshiping and fasting and praying, worshiping and fasting and waiting and hoping, not believing that Herod actually was the king of the Jews, but she knew there was another one to come and she didn't come up, she didn't give up. We can call her the patron saint of persevering prayer. What a woman. <laughs> 
What a woman to just stay in that place. I mean, talk about turbulent, troubled times. Talk about times of uncertainty. Talk about times of the culture of fear and not know what is going to be coming next. And not only was this happening on a national level, but Anna had also suffered personal loss. She'd only been married seven years. As far as we know, she didn't have any children. We're also not made aware that she had any money or property. It seemed like she'd lost everything. And she was in the temple in this space. And I'm sure many of us can identify with Anna for a number of different reasons. Maybe in the times that we find ourselves living in of uncertainty and injustice and devastation that we see across the earth with this prevailing culture of fear that we often encounter in our world today. Maybe some of us have suffered a lot of loss over the last little while and there is that sense of grief and desperation not a sense of, but that's where we are. We've suffered loss. And I think Anna, <coughs> excuse me, Anna's story reminds us that we don't have to have it all together to come to God in prayer. Prayer isn't for the special few. It's not that we get ourselves sorted and then we can become really good at prayer. Anna's story reminds us that where she was at <laughs> As a widow, she came to the temple and she settled herself in there and she prayed and she allowed God to meet her heart. She reminds us that whatever we're going through, God is with us. God came to be with us. God came to be near us, to comfort those who mourn, to restore and heal, to actually set us on the path of life that he has for us, even when it might have looked like all hope was lost. It is not. Advent reminds us that Christmas is not a feel-good story, but that God has come to be present with us. When Mary and Joseph would have brought um, Jesus to the temple, I don't know if you have seen, you might know this already, but the temple actually had lots of different courts. And on this outer space around the edges under um, the balcony area was the court of the Gentiles. That's where anyone was allowed. And often that's where the, the tables were. There'd be sellers selling things. There'd be marketplaces. There'd, it was a place of meeting. There was all sorts going on in that area. And then at the front here, there was the court of women. Um, and that's where the Jewish men and women were allowed. And then there was the court of the Israelites where the Jewish men were allowed, the court of the priests where the priests were allowed and the holy of holy, this place that held the presence of God. And when Joseph and Mary would have brought Jesus to the temple for his purification rites, they likely would have met Anna in either the court of the Gentiles or the court of the women because she wasn't allowed anywhere else. And so even right at the beginning of his birth, even this moment speaks that God didn't come to some keep himself separate from everyone. It's likely that they might have, Joseph and Mary, this young couple might have queued up with everyone else. There would have been hustle and bustle. And this is the place that Jesus came to. Every moment of his story reminds us that every one of us has been invited to be part of him. If nothing else, I think Anna's life can encourage us not to give up on hope, but to wait with God while so much is uncertain. In Anna's deep humanity of personal need, she made her home in the presence of God. 
She created habits of fasting and worship and prayer that sustained her. And one of the things that I think God wants to remind us, wants to remind us of are the habits of prayer and fasting and worship, to actually remind us, to actually invite us to take a look at what we are orienting our lives around, what we are giving our daily lives to. Because Annie Dillard has said, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And actually, God is reminding us, actually, to what are the habits that we have in our life? Has anyone ever ran a marathon or done some kind of, I asked Sarah Covard, had, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just sudden memory loss. I don't know what happens to me when I stand up here. um, Yeah. If you ever have, you will know. If you've ever set a goal, maybe you wanted to run a marathon in a certain time, climb a mountain, whatever it would be. If anyone's ever done that, you will know that you don't win the medal on the day that you cross the finish line. You win the medal in the secret places. You win the medal in the dark, early mornings when you don't feel like getting up and you still do it. You win the medal when no one else is doing it and you just keep going. That is where it's won. That is where it happens. It's not, we don't wake up and decide whether we feel like training or not. We just, the decisions we made, we get up and we do it. And prayer and worship and fasting aren't these rules that we need to live by, but they've been gifts that we've been given to orient our lives around, to actually say, do you know what? Just as if I'm running a marathon, I fix my eyes on the finish line. I know what I am headed towards. And so it is with these habits of prayer and worship and fasting. We know what we're going to fix our lives on. And so we orient our lives around it. God has certainly been speaking to me about that. I have made some changes Um, to my life that I felt like he's been telling me I need to if I'm actually going to run in the Bible we're likened to athletes and followers of Jesus we're likened to athletes that like train well because we don't know what moments are coming invest in the secret places of our lives in the secret spaces of our hearts and our spirits allow God to meet us there it's not about performance But I think God needs the church to be faithful in prayer. The world needs the church to be faithful in prayer. It's the unique gift that we have as the church. It's a, it's a gift. It's a, I, years ago, I um, read a book, Red Moon Rising, and it's all about the start of this international prayer movement called 24-7 Prayer. And I read the book. I was on holiday in Greece. <coughs> Excuse me. And I, um, I, I sensed the presence of God so much that I had to keep putting the book down. But I felt as I was reading it that God told me to set up a network of prayer rooms on Merseyside, in which the county that Liverpool is in, which is where I'm from. And I was like, oh my gosh, how'd you do that? What does that even mean? Um, prayer rooms that were going to be on high streets and all the different areas of Merseyside, places where people could just come and pray 24-7. There would be a space there where they could come and meet with God. So when I got back home, I called someone I knew who'd been praying for the city. And I said, I think God might have said this. If he did, I don't even know what to do about it. She put me in touch with some other people. 
who love to pray for the city. Um, and we met together. They came around to my house one night. I didn't know them. They didn't know me, but we were praying and we were like, God, is this from you? Should we do this? And we all decided, yes, we were going to go for it. And actually, that has led me to some of the greatest adventures of my life across the world, meeting some of the most amazing people. But on that first night, as we were praying, I just had this sense that my hands were opened and into it, God put a bag of gold coins. And it It was as if he was saying to me, prayer is always the treasure. It's not about what you do. Prayer isn't a means to an end. Prayer itself is the gift. Prayer itself is the treasure. This space that we have to connect with God, this gift that we have been given, that all of us in our everyday lives can be praying and worshiping and fasting. I've heard it said that as followers of Jesus, we can learn to be in two places at once. We can be on the tube, in our offices, in school, on our bikes, in conversation with our friends, and we can be in the presence of God, praying, asking him what he's up to seeing where he is at work it's this gift that we have been given so what happens when we pray what can we learn from Anna well there's two things I mean we could say so much about prayer there's actually some amazing books written about prayer if this is something that you um would love to know more about if this is something that you um (coughs) excuse me, are intrigued. And there's books about what happens when prayers aren't answered the way that we thought they might be. (laughs) To be honest, all of mine are written by Pete Gregg. (laughs) But you might ask around, there might be other people who have uh, other favorite books on prayer. God on Mute, How to Pray, Dirty Glory, uh, Red Moon Rising. There's loads of other brilliant books, but they're just some of them that can actually teach us what it is to, to steward prayer. Um, Well, but there's two things I want to pull out from Anna's faithfulness in prayer. She saw and she spoke. She entered into this beautiful cycle of prayer that has been likened to breathing in and breathing out. As we breathe in the presence of God, we actually get to breathe out. And you need both breaths to stay alive. It's intimacy and involvement. We're not meant to just stay um, in our secret places. We're actually meant to continue in this cycle of prayer. And in Anna's sense, she saw and she spoke. She saw Jesus. One normal day in that temple, she had been there for over 60 years. If you just imagine like how old you're going to be in 60 years, and you imagine that from this day to that day, you have just spent it praying and waiting and worshiping and fasting. And then one day, one normal day in the temple, in walk a young couple and you see him. You see these prophecies, what these, you see who these prophecies in the Old Testament had been speaking about. You see the Son of God that has come as a baby. You see him. <laughs> Like, what was that moment have been like for her? This is the one. This is the king we've been waiting for. It's not Herod. This is our Messiah. It's her who her and Simeon had been longing for, hoping for. She recognizes Jesus. And I think she recognizes him because of her years of prayer and fasting. So many people were waiting for the Messiah and they all had these ideas of who he would be, a warrior, maybe a special Pharisee or a priest. People were looking for a savior, 
But Anna saw Jesus. She was humble enough to see Jesus for who he really was, not who she thought he should be. She saw Jesus. And for many of us in our darkest moments, we're all waiting for a savior. Hey, we all want someone to come and save us. And honestly, if this is your first time here this evening, if you're thinking, oh, well, that all sounds great. If I haven't said enough this evening that says that prayer is for everyone, then let me say it again. <laughs> if this is your first time and you have never prayed and you are here because you're wondering what on earth is life all about? <laughs> what is this faith all about? Who is there that could save me in this darkest hour? Jesus invites you to pray. <laughs> Just pray your heart. Pray, God, are you there? <laughs> God, are you real? Jesus, show yourself to me or whatever other words you want to put on it. There is no barrier to who, who cannot pray. Anna was humble enough to see Jesus. It wasn't because she'd clocked up all these special hours of prayer, but I think it was because prayer had changed her. Prayer had shaped her. Prayer had healed her. Prayer had restored her. Prayer had awakened her to who she was and who God was. Prayer changes us. True, genuine, heartfelt prayer changes us. It opens our eyes to see Jesus. Prayer heals us. Prayer comforts us. Prayer helps us to see the person of Jesus and the way of Jesus. So often we can wear different glasses as we go through life. It might be the lens of our culture. It might be the lens of our upbringing. It might be the lens of our education, the lens of our side of the situation, the lens of what we think should be happening or what we only want to happen. And not all of those things are bad. <laughs> but when we pray, we're actually invited to maybe drop some of those that have been keeping us from seeing who Jesus really is. And Jesus invites us to actually open our eyes as we pray, as we begin to read of him and we begin to pray back what is written. As we begin to pray these words that are here, oh God, you say, I'm to forgive my enemies and to pray for them. What? That's not the lens that I want to look at this situation through, but prayer begins to help us to do that. Prayer actually begins to help us see that I can be forgiven. There's no condemnation. I can actually pray that back, God, thank you that you've forgiven me. Prayer helps us to see that it's not that I need to keep my broken heart from him or to get myself up all sorted, but that he is close to the brokenhearted. He comforts those who mourns. Prayer helps me to actually understand that he has equipped us for good works. And we can begin to actually be changed by the prayers that we pray as we see who Jesus really is and who we really are. We practice the presence of God. And then Anna spoke. It says, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna was one of the first prophets in the New Testament and she was no longer pointing people back to the law as the Old Testament prophets has done, but now there was a new time and she was pointing people to Jesus. This is who she was speaking of. Prayer always propels us out. 
It always propels us out. If we are praying as we see Jesus in these situations, we actually can start to become the answers to the prayers that we're praying. As we actually get to know who God really is and what is on his heart and what he is actually searching and hoping and waiting for, we actually begin to pray the prayers back to him. That he, Jesus is, we, we've got Jesus's um, prayer recorded. We can even be praying that back to him. We can actually start to become the answers to our own prayers. We begin to care more about the, the things that he cares about. We begin to pray for restoration in our families, justice in our communities, for peace, for healing. We pray for our neighborhoods. We become empowered and our lives begin to speak of the one who has come. Our lives begin to actually testify to those that we work with, those that we live with, those that we hang out with. He's here. <laughs> I will speak of this child to all who are looking for him. He's come. He is with us. He has brought this hope that we can live with. He's come. We actually begin to become the answers, whether that might be through starting businesses, writing songs, sending a text message, making a phone call, inviting people for dinner, whatever it may be, these ideas that God can drop in our hearts as we pray. I know a little while ago, I was sat in Ells Court. I used to live in Ells Court first in London, and I was um, involved with some friends in the anti-trafficking sector there and I was praying against I was sat in a cafe and I was journaling and I was praying and I was praying against this whole area and I was just asked the question like God what what do you feel like when you see all that's going happening in this area and at the exact moment that I finished that question the loudest clap of thunder filled the sky and I'm not saying that God sent um, that clap of thunder but it just so happened that it came just as I finished that question and for me, I just was overcome with quite a sense of awe as I sat in that cafe. And it was as if there was a, like, he was angry. <laughs> like, he was angry about what we can do to each other. And it was breaking his heart. And that led me to work for the charity that I work with because there was a sense when we get to know what breaks God's heart, when we get to know what makes him angry, when we get to know where he is inviting us to meet, he's in these places and he is inviting us, the church, to pray and come and meet him in these places so that we can work with him to see his kingdom come here. Where are your prayers taking you? <laughs> What are you praying for? Where are your prayers leading you? What is God inviting you to be part of? Where is he leading you? When I was at a 24-7 gathering a, a number of years ago, um, there was an unassuming guy that had come in. We were in Dresden in Germany and there was a, it was a, for the international movement, there was people there from all around the world. And this unassuming guy had come in. He was in his 60s and his name was Christian Fiore. You might have heard of him. I hadn't at the time, but he was actually pastor of St. Nicholas Church in Leipzig in East Germany. And he was there when... Um, Germany was divided and so they lived under one of the most oppressive regimes at the time and in 1982 he started to call his church on Monday nights to pray and they would call them peace prayers they were his act it was his uprising against the injustice of this communist regime and on Monday nights they would gather in this big old church and at first there was not even 12 of them and they would just pray for peace they would pray against the injustice of all that was happening. There was this pervading culture of fear 
and they would pray for peace. And seven years later, a few more people had gathered. They'd kept going every Monday night for seven years. And then on the 9th of October, 1989, it had grown so much that were actually 8,000 people in the church and the secret police had sent in 500 secret police to infiltrate the building. And there was about 8,000 more outside as word had started to spread of these Monday night peace prayer gatherings. And the regime were nervous. <laughs> they expected anarchy with this amount of people. There'd never been such a big gathering of people in East Germany um, at that time. And because they'd sent the secret police in, Christian Führer actually led a peaceful protest out. And they all lit candles and they began to walk the streets. They said, there will be no violence, but we are going to walk the streets. And they lit their candles and they prayed for peace as they walked their streets. They, sh they chanted, no violence, no violence no violence and later on the secret police said that they they were ready for anything but candles and prayer they had told them that they would shut the meeting down by any means if there was any signs of trouble and they were ready for anything but candles and prayer and the next Monday night they gathered again this time there was 120,000 that had gathered to pray the next Monday night they gathered again and this time there was 300,000 that had gathered to pray the leader of East Germany resigned and the week after that the 9th of November 1989 the Berlin Wall fell down and it made a way for peaceful elections which led to the reunification of Germany. And a while after this, at Christian Führer's death, just a few years after I'd been in that room with him in Dresden, the Chancellor of Germany said, Christian Führer was a beacon of hope to many people. And he of all people would have been to want to point to say that it's all Jesus. <laughs> it's all Jesus who invites us to partner with him in prayer who actually invites us to gather together and say, not as some religious catchphrase, but as an anthem cry, God, let your kingdom come. God, let your kingdom come. Karl Barth has said that the, um, to clasp our hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorders of this world. This is the gift that we have been given, a prayer that comforts and heals and restores, a prayer that is like a weapon that we actually get to fight, not each other with, but the powers of the spiritual realms that we are told in Ephesians chapter 5, to arm ourselves with all that God has given us and pray on all occasions so that we can see the kingdom of God come. This is the gift that we have, whether you've been here just today or whether you've been here for years we have been invited just like Anna did <laughs> to orient our lives around worship and prayer and fasting so that we can see him that we can speak of him that we can see him that we can speak of him and we can keep on going as we get to become more and more like Jesus I wonder if the band would like to come off I'm just gonna um Thanks, guys. You sound so, I know I've said it to you, but beautiful. It's amazing. There might be some of us who feel like we're really bad at prayer. <laughs> Maybe you've sat here the whole time and you've thought, great, Joe. I'm just really not bad at it. I don't feel anything and I don't get it. <laughs> I, I think we've all been there at some point. <laughs> I think we've all been there, but sometimes you just got to keep going. 
Start, if that's you, start to pray with people if you find it hard on your own. Maybe start to gather a few people and pray together if you've never tried it before. The disciples were in the same boat. They said to Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And that's when Jesus gave what as we know is the Lord's Prayer. If you don't know where else to start, start there. Start praying that every day. For some of us, I know that you have been pioneers of prayer. You have been gathering people and you have been faithfully praying. You have been out on the streets, you have been praying. And I guess I just want to say, don't give up. You're doing a holy work. Don't give up. Some of us may never know the results of our prayers this side of eternity. We know of people like Anna and Christian Führer, there'll be thousands of others that we don't that have had an impact on this world. For some of us, it might be that the pandemic is actually just, we've lost our habits <laughs> or maybe our sense of self and God isn't inviting us to return to where we were, but it's a new season. And he's just given us a moment to look at our lives, I think, and invite us to reflect upon what we're orienting ourselves around. And so I'll pray and then we will worship. Father, I want to thank you that you have given us this gift of prayer. Father, I want to thank you that it's not just for a special few, but it's for all of us to actually be transformed by. You know where each of us are at this evening, Father. You know our hearts. And so I just pray and thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've actually said you'll come and that you're our helper. Would you help us as a church to pray? Would you help us to recognize the times that we have been entrusted with? Would you awaken us again to see Jesus? Jesus, to see where you are at work and to join you, that we may join in your prayer, that God's kingdom comes here on earth. In your name, amen.